Welcome to the Land Academy podcast, episode number 89. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. We have a special guest for you on today's show. I'm delighted to welcome back Mike Cagney. He is the CEO and co-founder of SoFi. So if you've had anything to do with the fintech sector over the last five years, you will have heard of SoFi. They are the most prominent company in the space. They have been executing flawlessly uh, pretty much from day one. On today's interview, we, we cover all kinds of territory. We go into all of the different verticals that they now offer. You know, we talk about the Super Bowl ad. We talk about securitization in some depth and, and, and discuss what they're doing with, uh, with technology. And we also touch on the coming SoFi bank account and credit card. It was a fascinating interview. Mike is one of the most interesting guys in the space. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Mike. Thanks for having me. Okay, so it's been a while since uh, since we've had you on here, and SoFi has has changed a lot in the last uh, couple of years. So, what do you say to people now? How do you explain SoFi to people who have never heard of you? Sure. So, I think I think SoFi obviously is best known for uh, innovating the student loan refinancing product, and that's still a core component of what we do today. But obviously, we built on top of that with personal loans, mortgages, wealth, insurance, asset management. Effectively, what we are is a different kind of financial services firm. We're one that embraces the idea of beyond a product. It's really around the concept of money, career relationships. And, and that's what we're trying to deliver into our member base is on the money side, both products that help them be successful and help them feel empowered in terms of controlling their financial destiny uh, on the career side, everything we can do to help them be upwardly mobile and, and make make the most of their education and the most of their opportunities. And on the relationship side, really creating a SoFi community that these folks have the ability to interact, to support one another, whether it's through the entrepreneurial program or, or other similar endeavors. And and obviously, we're, we're somewhat famously known for our, for our dating events, but, <laughs> but, but really rounding the whole thing out around money career relationships is a new kind of financial offering. Okay, so then, so then, what part? I mean, given that there's there's a lot of different components there, I mean, what part are you most excited about? Yeah, I, I think what I'm most excited about right now is I, I feel like our lending business is getting to a point of maturity. Um, it's obviously still growing at a relatively good clip across all the products, but but in terms of the business itself, it's been significantly de-risked uh, both on the customer acquisition and the capital market side. And so now we're really focusing on the other side of the balance sheet. And, and what I'm most excited about is, is kind of the direction we have for 2017 in terms of being able to provide a deposit account, a credit card into our member base and kind of rounding out that holistic offering. And I think that's key because it's, it's synergistic to so many other things that we do. If you, if you look at an initiative we have like SoFi at Work where we're going in and, and currently helping employers pay down their employees student loan balances – our ability to bring a more robust solution where they can actually help their employees better manage their financial lives is really exciting. And, and so getting those kind of solutions in place is, is what I'm most optimistic about over the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I want to talk about a lot of that stuff in, in a little bit. But firstly, I just want to delve into the, the different verticals that you've got there. And let's just start at the beginning with, uh, with student lending. I mean, you invented the, the student loan refinancing segment. It's, it's, as you say, it's a more mature business now. How are you growing that now when considering you've, you've, you're at a fairly large volume already? 
Yeah, you know, it's an interesting market. I, I think we've always felt that the immediate addressable refinancing market was in the two, three hundred billion dollar range. And, and I don't think we backed off of that number. You know, every month we have a record month in student loan origination and, mm-hmm. and it's growing at a, at a rate of effectively doubling year over year. And we've been doing that without compromising credit quality, without compromising our margins in the business. There's just a lot of opportunity out there to give people a better product. And and so, you know, effectively, the, the business is growing at a good clip. We, we don't see it slowing down in terms of that doubling potential. The credit quality has stayed very consistent. So I think we've done probably in the neighborhood of about 130,000 student loan refis at this point. I think we're in around 30 defaults or right in that neighborhood of which, you know, a large portion of that are people that have died. And so, you know, I don't think anyone's gone to market with an unsecured consumer credit book of that kind of size or that kind of performance. And, mm-hmm. and so we're, you know, we're enthusiastic about it and, and it continues to grow. And we've, you know, I'd say in terms of looking at where we are relative to other players in the market, I think Citizens is the second largest refinancer out there. And we've continued to maintain our, our advantage over them in terms of production and probably have actually increased it over the last six months. Right, right. Okay. So then can I just talk about then the unsecured consumer lending because that's, that's something you went into, you know, a little, a little after the, you've been established in student loans. So, and you're going, is this a product that has primarily been focused on your student loan base or is this really you're trying to compete with, with Lending Club and Prosper? Or where, where are you at with the unsecured consumer? Yeah. So it's, you know, to me, it's a fascinating market. I think it's a, a fascinating market on a, on a whole set of, of dimensions. You know, first off, we're, we're really not going after the Prosper Lending Club customer in the sense that our borrowers tend to be more uh, on the prime scale or super prime scale. And if you look at use of proceeds, about half of the use of proceeds for our personal loan business are related to home improvement. Hmm. And so what we're really doing is we're, we're taking a big portion of the market that used to have home equity. And as that product's become harder and harder to get and the banks have withdrawn from that, we've had an opportunity to come in behind that and pick up that slack. And so that's a, a big portion of what we do and it's relatively differentiated. But I think one, one of the things that, that everyone needs to be sober about in this market is we, we talk about the addressable opportunity in the three to $400 billion range. And that's, that's probably right. But if you look at someone like a Discover who, who just did their earnings announcement, they, they did $4 billion of personal and production in 2016. That's mm-hmm. not a huge number. And so, you know, this is a market that I think we're still figuring out what is the right way to, to elicit borrower demand and deliver this product into consumers in, in a way that they want. And it's, it's not the current channel. It's not the loan broker direct mail channel. It's not the debt consolidation product. I think there are there are other ways to acquire customers, whether it's point of sale or, or under specific purpose loans. And, and there's other purposes for the loan, whether you know, it might be you know, a practice loan for a doctor or a dentist or, or you know, a, a bar loan for a lawyer or private school loans or you know, a whole host of things that, that I think are relatively untapped in terms of market opportunity. And that's really where the growth in that segment is going to come from over the next one to two years. What, what I think is most interesting and, and what if you look at the borrower base, our personal loan borrower tends to be a little bit older than our student loan refi borrower. The credit metrics are roughly consistent. The salaries are you know, both high, but, but I'd say personal loan probably runs around 140 to 150 on, on a median basis, whereas student loan, our student loan book right now is probably around 175. But what's most interesting is you know, we get about a third of our mortgage through existing members, and most of that comes out of personal loan borrowers. 
So we get more cross sell out of personal loan. I, I shouldn't, I'm not allowed to use the word cross sell anymore. We get more cross buy. <laughs> yes, I know. We, we, no one uses that anymore. Cross <laughs> buy, yeah, which means it's under your own volition. Right, uh, right. More cross buy out of the personal loan product than we do out of the student loan refi product. Interesting. So, so you're basically, I can see how the, the personal loan product is in some ways, I mean, it's lead gen as well as actually a product for you. Um, that, that's right. I mean, it, it's in, in terms of total economic value, it's an extremely valuable channel. We do about as much personal lending right now, unsecured personal as we do uh, a student loan refi. They're you know, on any given month, they're kind of neck and neck with each other, hmm. it, but it's been growing faster. And so it will easily outpace our student loan book in 2017. Okay. Wow. That's fascinating. So then, and then we move on to real estate, which you've, you've been making some waves in. And I, I just, you know, you saw you recently expanded in, into New York. I mean, how, like you, you, you're doing, I mean, it sounds like you're doing 30 year fixed, you're doing a seven year arms or whatever. I mean, I guess, tell us, tell us about how the real estate's been going and what, uh, where you're at with that. Yeah, I think the the real killer product that we have on the real estate side is the 10% down uh, non-conforming loan. So basically, jumbo loan balance, 10% down into a prime borrower. Um, you know, obviously not a crisis type loan in the sense that it's owner occupied. It's someone with a clean credit history. It's it's not someone who's who's basically flipping the house. And and what we've been able to do is really open up the opportunity of home ownership into a broad swath of, of the consumer base that might have been locked out of it historically. And, and 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 this has been extremely powerful for us because if you're a student loan refi customer, for example, and you pay your loan down, the next thing you want to do is buy a house and you just paid a loan down. You're not flush with assets. As you know, our, our members are called Henry's, which is right. that actually higher and are not rich yet. And the not rich yet part means that you know, being able to do 10% down in a major metropolitan area like San Francisco or New York is a huge advantage. And, and that's been a, a significant differentiator for us. It's been extremely well received by the capital markets. Uh, you know, we have a very deep buying universe of insurance companies and, and asset managers who buy that product as fast as we can originate it. And, you know, the New York City expansion was huge for us because there's a tremendous customer base or member base there that can benefit from this solution. And, you know, it's indicative. We, we as you know, we hold community events two or three times a week across the U.S. So we held a open up a, a mortgage event in New York where you know, basically we're guiding people in terms of what to think about in terms of a first time home buyer. Uh, the event sold out in, I think, minutes. And we set up a second event behind it, which also sell, sold out. I think we have a waiting list now of about 300 people trying to get into the next <laughs> event. And it's it's one of the constant misperceptions about this millennial customer base that, you know, the view is, well, millennials don't want to buy homes. The reality is they absolutely want to buy homes. It's just they don't have financing options that fit where they are. And, and this is around the whole concept of product fit. And it's one of the big advantages that we have in market that, that we think we deliver the kind of solutions people want. It's what's given us a big leg up in terms of the banks and, and how we compete. So how, how big of a loan will you go? Um, what's, what's the max loan size? So three million is the the max loan size, but we've done exceptions uh, and and we'll do exceptions on a case by case basis. But but in general, three million is what we cap at. So if you want to buy a two million dollar apartment in in Manhattan and you've got a two hundred thousand dollar down, then you're you're a hot you 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 can go and apply for a loan on SoFi. Uh, absolutely, and you can go on your phone and in two minutes you'll know exactly what your rate's going to be from us, and and then we make the process as seamless and painless as possible buying that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so let's switch now to wealth management, which is something uh, I think you launched in 2016, which 
you know, it was, I guess, a little bit surprising from my perspective, but I want you to talk about, is this, is this again, a, a, you know, not, uh, what, was the, what was the word you used? Not cross-sell, but another opportunity to, to provide new services to your customers. You said you wanted to go over the other side That's of the balance right. sheet. So what are your plans there and, and tell us what you've, what you've been doing? Sure. So, you know, we started with wealth management with a, a very basic goal-based allocation module, and we turned it on for our existing members. Uh, we didn't market it. We didn't advertise it. And it actually got pretty good uptick. And, and then we turned it on for, for outside folks as well. But again, no marketing, no, no nothing behind it. We have a decent number of wealth management uh, customers today that, that use that product. But it really, it's a beachhead for us to think about what we're going to build on, on in that vertical. And you know, we recently hired John Gardner, who's one of the, the co-founders at LearnVest, over to, to build our advisory portion of our business. Um, we're building out an asset management function in our business, which, which will be very synergistic into the wealth channel. But at the end of the day, we, we want to be able to provide a solution that, that helps our members go from paying down their debt to accumulating their assets. And, you know, we think there's a lot of different ways to do this. And, and the wealth product is really a first toehold into that to really see how people interact with us with money. And it's been very encouraging. The response has been very strong with no advertising. We built a, a you know, sizable customer base. And, and uh, you know, we, it's a good launch point for us as we think about how to better expand into that vertical. Right. So then in life insurance was your next step. Why did you do life insurance? So I, there's, there's a couple of aspects to this. One is, you know, we, we want to be everything to our members and, and we want to be able to provide them a quality solution, a contextual solution. So being able to know when they need the solutions and be smart about delivering that into our member base and, and do it in a, in a transparent, fast, easy, efficient way. And one of the, I think, the most misunderstood products out there is insurance. And, you know, for example, I, I, I honestly, I'm, my, I'm relatively well versed in financial services. And, and it wasn't until recently I understood the difference between whole life and term life as a, as a policy. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it, it's an interesting solution. But, but here's the thing about insurance that I think SoFi has this huge advantage in going to market on. First is we have a very unique customer. And, if you look at the death rate of our customers versus the actuarial table, so you know we have I think two hundred thirty thousand members today, so we should have had something like six hundred or seven hundred deaths in the portfolio. I think we've had thirty, and and w- as much as I like to promote that it's because the loans are helping everyone live longer, um, <laughs> I think there's there's really a characteristic of our member base that doesn't behave like the median population, and I think there's value to that in terms of insurance. I think the other aspects that are interesting to us are, you know, we have this whole community and and the ability to effectively create common pools of deductibles, sort of in a, a mutual concept where 100 people can band together, have a common deductible and have transparency into each individual's behavior really addresses adverse selection and moral hazard, which mm-hmm. is the crux of the insurance industry. So I think there's a huge opportunity to leverage that. And, and then finally, you know, we we know so much about our members that we have the ability to be purely contextual for them in terms of when they should be thinking about insurance. So you bought a home, you need homeowners. You had a kid, you need life, right? Rather than just pushing out, you know, spam for lack of a better word about the insurance product, you know, we can deliver solutions that are timely and relevant. And and this is what we do across products. Why we run such high funnel conversion in the market, and that you know we've gotten good at reaching out to people when it's relevant. And, and this is a situation with insurance that we think we know enough to, to be smart in terms of when to engage our members and do it in a way that's high value to them. 
Right. That's fascinating. Fascinating. Anyway, I want to switch gears a little bit. You know, we're, we're recording this uh, 10 days before the Super Bowl. Last year, you had a Super Bowl ad. I want to ask you how, like, do you think that was money well spent? How, how do you feel about the Super Bowl ad now? It wouldn't be an interview if you didn't ask me how I felt about this. <laughs> so, so I think, I think a couple of dynamics on that. I, and I, I say a couple of dynamics on almost everything you ask me because they're such good questions and I, I have to go to multiple levels to respond. So the, the Super Bowl ad, obviously it wasn't well received critically, but it blew the top of the funnel up. And we had so much loan demand come through from that ad. It was incredible. And, and so if you look at it in the context of did it drive volume? Absolutely it did. You know, I think that as a company, we were young, we were thinking about our identity, our brand, and, and we probably evolved a little bit since then. And, and we probably run a different ad today than we ran then. But in terms of what we intended it to do, it accomplished 100 percent of what we intended it to do. I think that the challenge was, as, as you recall, a year ago, the capital markets were nowhere near as friendly as they are today. Mm-hmm. There is some challenges and stress to the business. And you know, we came to the conclusion, look, we, our business is, is uh, one where since because of the nature of how we sell loans and, and the nature of our reliance on wholesale capital markets, we're better served with uh, shorter, shorter tenure marketing decisions, not long tail decisions. And, and we just felt we have so much demand for the product today. It wasn't necessary to do that kind of brand outlay again. So, so I'd say it absolutely accomplished what we wanted it to do. But we've just gotten to a point today where we don't think we need that brand outreach for hitting our goals and metrics. Right. So you're not going to be like Budweiser and do a Super Bowl ad every year? Not yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. So then I, I want to talk about raising money. It seems like every time I, I talk to you and you're in the middle of uh, a, a roadshow raising money of some kind, um, either on the debt or equity side, can you share anything about, you know, there's been lots of rumors out there about your new equity round. And obviously you're always raising money on the debt side. What, what can you tell us about your fundraising activities today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody in our space should constantly be raising money. I think the the one thing that's come out of 2016 is that being in the lending space is capital intensive. And, you know, the idea of this being balance sheet light, I think, has gone by the wayside. And and so, you know, we always need to be if you're expanding your business, you're growing your business, you're always going to be raising money. And whether you're doing that in a private market or you're doing that in the public market via the IPO, you know, there's different ways to do it or, or you're doing it through debt financing. But you're always going to be raising money as you grow the business. And so, you know, we, I think, I think it's been reported. We've been out in the market on the equity side. I think we're, we're basically at closure on that now. And, you know, I'm very, very content about the outcome there. And more of that will come in the next few weeks. Okay. On the debt side, you know, we've, we've got about 100 counterparties that we have direct relationships now that we manage. And the deals we've done have been significantly well subscribed. So I'd say the last several securitizations have been between three and seven times oversubscribed buyers from Asia, Europe, the US, and, and we continue to build and broaden that buyer base. And you know what we've been very focused on recently is permanent capital, where we have buyers who are coming in buying 100 million a month for 10 months or 12 months and committing into that. And that, that gives us a lot more predictability in the business and allows us to withstand a lot of the market volatility that's, that's inherent in our business. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about securitization for a second. I mean, why, why do you think what is it about SoFi that has caused you to succeed so well in this market? Because clearly, as I said, your, your, your deals are oversubscribed. I mean, it's been, there's been a lot of um, you know, people look to SoFi as a standard bearer, certainly in our space and, and even throughout, throughout the entire securitization industry now. I mean, what, why has the market responded so positively to your deals? Yeah, I, I think we've actually become a top five ABS issuer. And mm-hmm. 
you know, which is, and, and, and we continue to grow that market as well. I think there's a, there's a few components to this. One is that I, I think having come from the securitization market as both a, a, an originator and a buyer, we had a good appreciation for the right balance to strike for investors and, and for the company. And so things like doing risk retention before it was mandated or, or required, where, you know, having that alignment went a long way to encourage participation in the deals, you know, working very proactively with the rating agencies and, and getting to AAA faster than they originally said we could even get a rated transaction done. And, you know, this year we should add a second major AAA to the deals and, and start doing public transactions, which is a whole nother dimension. You know, I think facilitating liquidity for the trades, you know, today, any unsecured consumer print, half the, half those prints in, in the market are SoFi paper. And, and then, you know, just delivering consistency and quality and, and providing education and context, right? We, I can't tell you, I mean, part of why I'm always on the road is I'm meeting people, telling them the SoFi story and giving them visibility into our thought process and getting them really comfortable with the credit. And, you know, what's, what's, very specific about SoFi is we bring deals in size, but they're the same deal, right? It's the credit quality doesn't change from deal to deal. The characteristics don't change from deal to deal. And so you participate in one transaction, you can participate in 10. And, and that's served us very, very well. And, and obviously the performance has been stellar. You know, the, the returns have been very, very strong to the buyers. And, and so, you know, at the end of the day, the best way to attract money is make people money. <laughs> I think we've done a good job on that so far on the on the security side. So then, what about as we all know from you know the financial crisis and, and and even since then, sometimes these markets seize up and you know they don't just slow down; they completely seize up. What what are your you know, what what will you do if if and when the securitization market shuts down? Yeah, so it, it will shut down. It, it always does. And, and effectively, the way that we approach this is we have a balance sheet. So today we have a billion four of equity that's obviously going to go up in the most recent raise. And we have four and a half billion of warehouse capacity. So almost six billion dollars of lending at the corp level. And if you take that six billion dollars of lending, you take the fact that we have permanent capital partners who are committed to buy under under any market circumstance. And then you take into account the ability that we change pricing all the time to reflect market. So I, you know, I always laugh when when Bloomberg reports that Lending Club or Prosper change their rates because, you know, we change our rates whenever we need to. <laughs> so it's never a news event because we mm-hmm. actually run, you know, we run we run a real marketplace where we're trying to target a particular margin, and if we make more, we lower rates; if we make less, we raise rates. But but we're in a situation where we feel that we can withstand a 12-month total shutdown in wholesale capital markets and still originate loans. And the, the way that we gate ourselves, we're not gated by, by capital per se in the sense that, you know, with, with oversubscription and securitizations, obviously we could bring bigger deals and, and place them in the market. We're gated where we want to be able to go 12 months if the market shut down. So we do a little over a billion a month in origination today. And, and that's specifically geared towards being able to, if the market shut down and we do these adjustments, uh, we can go 12 months without hitting the market and, and not interrupt our business operations. And, and that's, you know, as we get more balance sheet capital, as we get more permanent capital takeout, we can increase the amount of monthly production that we do. But that's effectively how we think about the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that, that should be long enough, I would expect. <laughs> so... Let's talk about tech. You've you you, know, you talk about you know the doing a, you know a two million dollar application on your phone. Where are you focused on? Are you focused on mobile? Are you doing AI, blockchain? I mean, where where are you focused in your in, in the tech side of the business? So, 
So we're doing we're doing a bunch of stuff. I think I think the piece that people don't see where we made a lot of investment in technology and it's paid huge dividends to us is on our loan operations infrastructure and our ability to manage our pipe and and get our operations people to the most likely to close transaction and facilitate that is huge. It's been a big advantage. If you look at, you know, loans process per employee, I think I think we're way ahead of the pack, no matter what vertical you look at, whether it's personal lending or small business or any of the others. And and so there's been a big tech investment there historically. Where we're going now is on a couple of fronts. We're we have a big mobile initiative going on. A lot of that incorporates biometric identification, you know, things that we're thinking about in terms of, you know, both application and ongoing management of your account via mobile. We're thinking about mobile in the context of, of rich contextual outreach, geolocation outreach, things that, that, again, we can just provide more and more personalization to you through that device. And then, you know, we, we're doing some stuff on some of the cutting edge tech. You know, we're, we've got a, a project now exploring the, the viability of taking public records out of the file system and onto, you know, either, either Bitcoin or Ethereum, but one of the two blockchain platforms. And, you know, we think there's huge application for that kind of technology for that, that purpose. And it, it serves us well in our lending business. And so we, we've got some initiatives going on, on those lines as well. Fascinating. I'd love to dig into that, but I want to get to this other topic because we're, we're running out of time. You know, you, there was an article recently, even you just mentioned at the beginning of this interview, that you want to introduce a bank account and a credit or debit card this year. What can you tell us about how you're going to execute on that uh, promise? Yeah, so I, I can't tell you much yet. It's <laughs> baked other than then we have a very good idea of how we execute and, and we'll have a deposit account and credit card out in 2017. Okay, okay, we'll have to leave it there then. So let's want to talk about your social gatherings. You've talked about you know, the dating, which seems to get you a lot of good PR. But given that you've got, you've got student lending, consumer real estate, I mean, you've got a whole range of different kinds of, offerings now but is it do you have separate meetups for those separate offerings i mean what or do you sort of bring everybody under the one sofi umbrella how like what are sofi customers have in common so so it's a great question so you know obviously we have members who are as young as 19 as old as 90 and and across the board <laughs> in terms of region and occupation and and interests so what we do is very specific i talked about you know the, the events we're having in new york for first-time home buyers and you know, it's very specific to uh, to a product and specific to a particular demographic that falls into that. Some of them are much more open in terms of networking and, and engagement. And so, you know, what, what what we found is that the common thesis that SoFi members share and why there's a SoFi community is they tend to be people who are ambitious, who who are, are you know, want more in life and and who really relish the opportunity to engage with other folks like-minded people to talk about what they're doing and you know both in the context of, of pure validation but also in the context of opportunity and and so you know what's what's really cool is about 10 percent of our member base so 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 the 230,000 now it's called 23,000 have gone to SoFi offline events and we're trying to build that up to 15 percent this year and so it's it's just you know it, I don't think any financial institutions ever had that kind of engagement with a community that we have and, and it's something we want to continue to build on. Yeah. Yeah. That's just for sure. That's, I don't think you get 10% of chase customers going to a social event. 
So I was down in Australia in November. Obviously, that's, that's where I'm from. And uh, people were talking to me about SoFi down there. And then I've, I've read a bit of news that uh, you are planning, uh, or at least like it looks like you're planning on opening up an Australian office. What can you tell us about your international plans? Sure. So Australia will be the first place we go outside of the U.S. You know, it's, it's a market predominantly dominated by the big four banks. It's in, I think, desperate need for for good cutting edge technology, particularly on the mortgage side. Mm-hmm. But it also is ripe for product innovation on the mortgage side. I mean, for example, you you well know as an Australian, there's no 30 year mortgage product in Australia today. Right. And and so I think there's both customer appetite and investor appetite for some product innovation in the Australia rates credit market. And, and you know, we're we're excited about the opportunity to get get there. So first half of this year, expect us to be live and doing loans in Australia. So you're focusing on real estate then as your first product? Yeah, it's it's a core part of the offering. And we're also looking at wealth. We're looking at personal loans. But but real estate's really kind of the tip of the spear for us over there. Right. I think I think you'll do well. I think the four, the four big banks in Australia are extremely profitable. And um, they have, you know, they, they, I don't think they've seen anyone, the likes of SoFi, uh, come down there. So I think that will be, it'll be very interesting for me personally to see how that, how that plays out. So I want to talk about your, like the vision you have, because I feel like it's always, I'm always fascinated when I talk with you because you have these you have these big plans, but you're also executing. And I feel like you, you're, you're driving fast. You're coming out with new products all the time. So what is, what is the big vision for SoFi? I mean, in, if, in 25 years time, what would you like? So how would you like SoFi to be considered? Is this, is this the 21st century version of, of Chase or City or is it something different? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I, I think fundamentally, the way we look at our opportunity is if you look at banks today in the U.S., uh, they're, they're valued out somewhere between $10,000 and $100,000 a customer, not, not an account because a customer can have multiple accounts, um, hopefully multiple accounts that they themselves open, but, but multiple accounts. <laughs> yes. and so, so, you know, a, a regional bank is going to be worth $10,000 a customer. Someone like First Republic that's more of a private bank, $100,000 a customer. Yeah, we have we have 230,000 customers today. We're going to have 500,000 at the end of this year. We'll have 2 million a couple of years after that, which will include non-US customers. And and we don't think it's unrealistic that we could have a product set and and be efficient enough in cross buy that we could be worth, you know, something in the middle, call it 50,000 a customer. And so, you know, that's effectively how you build a 100 billion dollar platform. You have two, 2 million customers, $50,000 a customer, which translates to you know north of $100,000 in revenue per relationship that you have. And, and so everything that we're doing in terms of expanding the product set, expanding the geography and the footprint, you know, continuing to solidify the channels through things like, like our community development, all this is geared towards building the next generation financial services platform for the next generation market. And it's not that we preclude anyone who's not a Henry or not, you know, a 25 to 45 year old demographic. We, we, we love everybody and, and everyone's a great, great member. But but that that segment in particular is just misunderstood and, and somewhat ignored by traditional financial players. And, and we think there's a tremendous opportunity for us to execute. And it's not specific to the U.S. It's everywhere. I mean, there's Henry's in China. There's Henry's in India. There's Henry's in, in the Middle East. There's Henry's in Europe, um, in Australia, obviously. And so, you know, we we're just very excited about the opportunity that's in front of us. And, and what we really have to do is make sure that that we don't run too fast and get too far ahead of ourselves in terms of the business and execution. But but there's a lot to be done and a lot of greenfield to do it in. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll have to leave it there, but I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Mike. It's always great to chat with you. Great. Thanks for having me. Okay, see ya. I just want to go back and uh, revisit that uh, point that Mike just made about this 25 to 45-year-old demographic. Obviously, it's so far they you, you have to have a, a high income, but you'd think that these would be the customers that banks would just be falling over themselves to try and get. But it hasn't been the case, you know, so far has been able to come in and build a pretty sizable business in a short amount of time. This is something that I think if the banks were serving this customer base well, so far would have had a lot harder time. In fact, a lot of the companies in this industry would have had a harder time. So I feel like what so far has done, they've sort of recognized a segment that should be getting fantastic service from traditional financial institutions and weren't, and they've gone and developed it. And as you can see, they are off to the races. They are, they've, they've already built a successful business, and I wouldn't be putting any limits on uh, where they can go in the future. Anyway, before I sign off, I would like to remind everybody about uh, Lendit USA coming up March 6th and 7th. Lendit.com, if you have not registered, please go do so today where it's coming up really fast. And uh, I would love to see all of the Lend Academy podcast listeners there. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.